Yes, friends. Welcome back, as always, to another episode of OGP on a Friday morning, where I am Adam Armbrecht, and over there is the healthy, the wealthy, the well-rested and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Adam, I got to tell you, I had a couple weeks away, was uh, down in Florida getting some some sun. Um, you know what? I'm a little injured this morning. I think I got some swimmer's ear from jumping around in the ocean and a little bit at the pool. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to play through it. Mm-hmm. I was questionable coming in. But listen, true warriors and true champions know that you got to come out and perform even on a Friday morning edition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Andrew, uh, you know, Andrew Makowitz comma warrior i think is the way that that usually goes that's the way that i've heard it framed uh before we come in on a friday after andy got some fun and sun with the family well-deserved rest as we say and now it is of course we're in the off season we're working towards otas we're working towards learning some things about not just the returning players the free agent signings and then of course the rookie draft class as well one of the little news and notes that came across the line too is as seems to be the case right the uh The Giants and the New England Patriots always have a connection through Bill Belichick, now through Joe Judge, and through yet another player. Adrian Colbert has been signed by the New York Football Giants this offseason. Safety, 27 years old. I mean, I think we all have a familiarity with him just from seeing him on the field for New England. Does it surprise you at all that the... Giants brought in yet another safety in Adrian Colbert because you 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 have McKinney from last year, you have Peppers, you have Logan Ryan. I, do you feel like this is another crowded body in the room or veteran player that Judge wants to take a look at? We remember the the rumors about McCourty possibly this offseason as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're at the time of year where you want to bring in as much competition as you possibly can into camp. And I think people have some massive overreactions. Oh, is this the end of Julian Love? Is is Xavier McKinney not looking healthy? And like, we don't need to read too much into it. Think about this. You know, you have the 53-man roster, maybe it may be 54, 55 with COVID, you know, depending. They're almost doubling that in terms of the players and bodies that they're bringing into training camp. So when you think about the depth at the safety position, they could bring, you know, 80% more into what the starting roster is going to be to actually bring in some competition. So, you know, Adrian's another guy who, uh, you know, it's kind of bounced around familiar with the organization. I'm fine bringing him in. It's the same reason why I'm fine bringing in any of these players. Kelvin Benjamin is fine. Corey Clement is fine. Let's get a bunch of depth, maybe even veterans that have been around the league to push some of these younger guys to make sure that, that they don't feel like their roster spots are secure. Yeah. And it's interesting when you think about guys up to 90 players, you know, in camp every single year for NFL teams, when you cut down to 53, 55, you know, all of a sudden the market becomes flooded with hundreds, literally hundreds of players become available over the over a stretch in the offseason. And, and it's interesting because a, a player that doesn't fit for the New York football giants could be a number two on a depth roster, right? Could be a depth piece somewhere else. I don't mean, you know, number two wide receiver, but when you talk about your starting linebackers, Hey, here's a guy that gets 30, 30% of the reps and the giants are moving on because we have young rookies or young second year players. Another team in a deep playoff run championship mentality says, boy, adding a missing component like that is just the extra depth we'd like to have going to the regular season. Yeah, and Adam, I think one of the other things that people should know about any of these signings that come after the draft or just around the draft in in, in the final terms is basically what 
does the actual contract look like that the Giants are signing them to? Like, what is is it a lot of money up front? Is it what, what's the dead cap hit if the Giants release them? If there's no dead money for the Giants, it's like a free lotto ticket for them to bring them in, and it doesn't count against the cap. So, like, keep in mind the types of players that require guaranteed money are the guys like Richard Sherman that are still sitting out there being like, I'm not taking a deal to just come into someone's training camp to be cut. Like if you want yeah. me, you got to make sure that you guarantee me money to, to come in and that I'm going to be a starter on this team. And any of these other guys that are signing these contracts, these are just to see if they can make a roster. And, and if they do, that's when the contract kicks in. But if you see someone getting signed right now and there's no dead money, if they were to cut them, then that's kind of an indication of where they stack rank on this roster. For sure, but I think it's good, and we said this before, that last year the Giants were signing undrafted rookies to try to replenish the the roster. Now it's about bringing in some veterans, taking a look at some guys, and helping, I think to your point, push some of these young players and make sure that you get the best out of the, the youth on the team over the course of a training camp and OTAs. We move over to some O-line chatter, maybe Mad Hatter. I like rhyme schemes. I want people to know that up front. We we said this, uh, I think, last time that we were on, one of the last episodes. People came out with the starting rosters. And <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks, oh, well, if this is what you think the starting roster is going to be, I can understand why you think the Giants aren't going to be as good this year by, you know, some metrics. Offensive line, obviously, was a huge topic coming into, through, and even after the draft. But there was one report where I think it may have been Bleacher Report that said predicting the Giants offensive line, starting for the entire team. When they got to offensive line, they have Nate Solder starting at left tackle, Andrew Thomas starting at right tackle, and Pert essentially, as we would assume, being a backup swing tackle in the rotation. Lemieux at at guard, by the way, they're still putting Gates in there. And I'm not sure if they said Hernandez was going to be at right guard or not. Bit of a mixed bag on that side. Just what... What's your general reaction to that? Because I'm not even going to go – I'm not attacking this from a Nate Solder standpoint. I'm just attacking it from a logic standpoint, I think. Well, a lot to unpack here. I have said on this show before, when we were talking about what we do with the number 11 pick, if Rashawn Slater is there, if Panay Sewell falls to the Giants at 11, I could see a world where Andrew Thomas moves over to the right side. If you think Panay Sewell is the most generational left tackle, set it and forget it for 15 years, shows that in training camp, I would not be opposed to moving Andrew Thomas. What I am opposed to is moving Andrew Thomas for a guy that's been out of the league for over a year, who, when he was in the league playing for this team, did not perform very well for the Giants, has only gotten older since then, and has been had to take a, a pay cut just to be able to stay on the roster. And we want to put him in at left tackle over Andrew Thomas, who developed over the course of the season, looked better in the last five or six games, looked like he was getting his legs literally and figuratively you know, underneath him at, at that position. And, and so to me, this makes no sense if you go this route. The last thing I will say about why this is nonsensical is because you have Nate Solder He's not the long-term option at left tackle. So you move him over there. You're changing Andrew Thomas, your first-round pick, all over the place. Okay, when Nate Solder performs mediocre or less than expected, are we going to shift Andrew Thomas back over there in the middle of the season? Are you planning on moving Matt Pert? And even if there's a world where Nate Solder is mediocre, just average left tackle, 
he he's done after this year. What's what are we doing at left tackle again? To me, it just raises so many other questions and doesn't solve any of the problems that we really have. Yeah. I listen, I, I couldn't, I, I could not frame it any better. And I think the idea that you maybe are going to be in a position where you're going to put stock into Matt Pert to replace Nate Solder, maybe, and keep Thomas at the right side, you know, but it's like saying, well, if you feel good enough to put Matt Pert in at left tackle, then why isn't he starting at left tackle to begin with? Or why, right. is it, you know, whatever it is, it, it just seems like to me, and we, we know we've, we've been hard on, or at least I know I've been hard on Nate Solder over the course of the last couple of years, specifically with his play on the field. But I look at Nate Solder in the same way that we look at a Colbert, the same way that we look at a Kelvin Benjamin, the same way that we look at any of these veteran players we're bringing in this offseason. I look at him as a great veteran presence to help push the young players, be a, a source of information for them. And ultimately, though, I think he'll make it through potentially and be on this roster. He's just a depth. Hey, good to have in the locker room kind of guy. See, I. Adam, I go a little bit differently because you know that I've I've uh, I have not walked the plank as far down on Nate Solder as you have. Don't right guard again with you? Well, no, 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 not necessarily. What I'm saying is, I, I said early on in the offseason when Nate Solder restructured, even before he restructured, I said there is a world where Nate Solder ends up being our right tackle starting the season, and I do think that that is a possibility, and I'll and I'll tell you why. If you start Nate Solder and he's he's struggling a little bit, you can bring in Matt Pert, who kind of had that same role in in last year's team, and you can just say, okay, listen, Nate, you, you're just going to be a plug in you know plug in guy when someone gets hurt. You're going to move across the line. That's kind of what you're going to do. If you start Matt Pert and he struggles early on, and you pull the trigger to move to Nate Solder in game two or game three, like is that the end of Matt Pert? At that point, like it, it's easy to take the veteran who can show kind of the ropes and then you can casually move him out when when you think it's time and, and use Matt Pert as he grows. I don't think you can do it the other way. And so for that reason, I think there is a window where Solder can be the starter at right tackle in week one. No, listen, I, I, that, that, that sound logic to get to that place. I think for me, I would hope that Matt Pert clearly wins the job in camp and it eliminates that. And then Nate Solder is the backup swing tackle. And, and you're right. You, it's hard to go the other way with it and say, well, it wasn't going so good with Matt Pert, but we'll send it now. We'll send him. We'll bring him back. Now we'll switch him. Don't worry. We have long-term. We think we're, you know, it's the same thing with Will Hernandez, right? We, you, he was in there. You gave him the chance when it didn't work out. And you went to Lemieux. We all feel like, Hey, if you maybe get a chance to battle at right guard and find a new spot for yourself, that's great. But you lost the role last year, and barring a collapse from Lemieux, you would think that it's his job to lose at left guard. Likewise, at right tackle, I'd like to see Matt Pert assert himself in camp enough where you say, hey, he showed it last year sharing time with Fleming. Now he's earned that role. Nate Solder, you're here to be the just-in-case. And by the way, if one of those two players were to get hurt, if one of them got to a place where it was, that's it, it's over, there's no pressure on Nate Solder. You know, best-case scenario, he comes in and he, performs average and we go oh my god look he you know the savior that is nate Solder. so who knows maybe he can write a bit of a story for himself i i'm sure that we're going to hear a lot from thomas and from pert throughout camp and throughout the season what a what a resource nate Solder has been how much it's helped their game improve over the course of the year keep keep in mind Dave Gettleman, when everyone's like, where was the offensive tackle in round one, two or three? Like, where was the guard? Like, what's going on? And he's like, 
well, apparently you guys don't like our, our offensive linemen as much as we love them. And we're like, yeah, Dave, because they struggled last year. You didn't do anything to improve them. You got rid of our best guard. So, yes, we may have some concerns. He's like, you don't see what we see. I'm like, well, Dave, guess what? We saw it for 16 games, and it wasn't great. Now, what I will be saying is you can see Matt Pert and Will Hernandez working out in the offseason together. They are grinding. Matt Pert looks chiseled. Will Hernandez was putting up some reps that I didn't even know he he had in him. And so th- they are pushing themselves to get better in the offseason. Maybe that's what Gettleman was alluding to. But sometimes when Gettleman gives those quotes where he's like, you guys don't see what we see. And it's like, yeah, we saw for 16 games. It was the 31st ranked offensive line in the league. Like, what, what else are we supposed to see? And that's when you talk about, right, the Thomas, Lemieux, Gates, Hernandez, Pert lineup across the front, just youth all across the board. Even some uh, chatter out of camp around uh, the young man that we got out of, uh, I think it was out of uh, Florida, the young center. Uh, I want to make sure I get that right. Player that we brought in after the draft. Supposedly, they like the idea of building him as a potential replacement for Nick Gates at center. Should they not be able to bring him back next year? That's for next year other information that I want to get into is of course the season listen if you know me beyond the Giants podcast you know that I also cover the Nets for locked on Nets as we head towards the playoffs historic season for Kyrie Irving this past year joining just the ninth player in history to join the 50 49 90 club 50 from the field 40 from beyond the arc 90 from the free throw line and it got me thinking I mean listen that's the gold standard right but what is the 50, 40, 90 club for QBs? Because before I want to get into Daniel Jones and what where we want to set our expectations for him and what expectations we set for him individually and how it correlates to team success. But what do you if you had to come with the touchdown interception completion percentage ratio, what do you think would be that equivalent gold standard that we're talking about? You know, this is something that historically has only been done you know, single digit times in the NBA. Where would you set that bar? By NFL standards? Oh, uh, that's that's a great question. I mean, are, we're talking about gold standard like you're basically a top five guy at your position in the league. I think, at, I mean, at minimum, you got to throw for 4,000 yards. I think touchdown to interception, I think you got to have a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. So maybe let's say, I don't know, 36 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. And I think if you could have a quarterback rating over a hundred. Is that kind of what we're, we're, what we're looking at, Adam? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty solid baseline. Right. And then if you talked about like the elite of the elite, right. You might be saying 40 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and then completion percentage. Let's see. I think it's 72% or something, right. Those numbers that when a season like that comes up add the yardage in, which I think is, you know, fluctuates these days with the NFL and how open the offenses are. But by that standard, we'd all step back and go, my God, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, right? This was one of their historic seasons inside of their career. And that's what got me thinking about Daniel Jones, because what is the ideal version of our quarterback this year where his individual success equals team success? So I kind of I came up with I came up with this touchdown interception completion percentage model. And I just wondered if I threw out the idea of This player could go 35, 13, and 65%. Daniel Jones could go 30, 10, and 68%. Or he could go 25, 8, and 70% completion. 
What is the what is what to you inside of there? And listen, you know, this is this is dartboard conversation here, but which one of those do you think correlates to the biggest success for the Giants this season? Yeah, I mean, that's uh that's a great multifaceted question, Adam. I I, I like the way that you phrase this because there there's a few things at play here. One, do we have a healthy Saquon Barkley in the backfield, right? Because if he is healthy and we have a little bit more of a balanced offense, then does Daniel Jones have to take as many shots down the field? Do we have to score in bunches? Is his completion percentage get a little bit lower? Um, the second thing is, uh, is our defense still a top 10 defense in the league? Because if they're going to keep us in games, do we need Daniel Jones to take chances down the field? We've talked at nauseum about turnovers being the biggest issue with Daniel Jones. And if he can eliminate those turnovers all the advanced metrics talk about his passes downfield are, are very accurate his completion percentage for a rookie was better than Josh Allen's was better than Sam Darnold's even in year two he was better than those so when you think about it I would kind of go with option b the the 30 and 10 is the one that I like probably because I said the three to one touchdown to interception ratio was was right where I wanted and I think 30 touchdowns um especially with the extra game this year would be a good stat line uh, for Daniel Jones. Yeah. And I think, you know, I looked at like the, you go to the lowest one and because the completion percentage lowest by, you know, touchdown standards, but 25, eight and 70. And you mentioned Saquon Barkley. The note that I had right next to it was breakout year for Saquon Barkley, you know, return to form year for Saquon Barkley, where what you get to do as, as Daniel Jones is say, yes, I have all the weapons. I have everything that I want to do, but I get to be highly accurate. Right, I get to pick and choose my throws, work through my progressions, find the right read in every single set because Saquon Barkley is the engine that's moving this offense up and down the field with consistency. That's exciting, but I don't know if it, you know, we've seen plenty of teams that have running backs that go for big yardage every single week and they don't necessarily win a lot of games. So to your point, you know, the middle 30, 10, and 68, the completion percentage is high enough there where you feel like he's making the throws that you need to. The turnovers are low enough that you think when he's in the red zone, he's checking those boxes and getting touchdowns, not having turnovers that are costing us a three-point game to become a 10-point game late in the sequences. The The hard part for me is like, I, I want to go for the big numbers, right? But I don't think that I don't think that the best version of Daniel Jones is a guy that throws and, and listen, when you say 35, you know, th that's a big number 35 and 13, like, Hey, and, and I, I'm, I'm even using that 13, the turnover, not just interceptions, right? Turnover totals. Let's bring all those numbers down collectively. But I, I'd be hard pressed to think it, it, it's almost funny too, because I'm creating a little bit, I think of, of a, of a difficult narrative, 65 completion percentage, but 35 touchdowns. It means that you're, you're kind of muddling through in between the twenties. And then you're getting hyper accurate and successful in the red zone. That's great. But Daniel Jones has shown, right? He's still maybe coming out of that learning curve where you protect the ball more as you get closer to the red zone. So Adam, I've been thinking long and hard about Daniel Jones and, and what he needs to be or what is a good comp for him. Sure. This, this may sound a little bit far-fetched. Um, but, but when we look at the stats and, and the, and and the breakdown of the stats, not that he needs to be this player, but but he needs to be able to put this type of performance on the field. Give me the give me the numbers first of this player. Don't give me the name yet. Right. Because this is how we end up having, you know, do you say the name? Everyone's going to go crazy. OK, so if I told you 
that Daniel Jones would have 3,900 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, with a 67% completion percentage. Wow. How would you how would you feel about that? See that, that I mean listen, that that's not not too far off, right? The 25-870 line. That's kind of in that wheelhouse there. To me, that's a that's a little bit better than a game manager, right? Because he's 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 mitigating some of those those uh risks there of turnovers. I would be excited about that. What I would you know, in my heart, would I like it to be bigger and better? Sure. But that's a solid season with consistency where a quarterback is controlling and, and, and guiding his team on a week to week basis. Well, so, okay, we're off to a good start. I, I feel like those numbers are top half of the league. If if you look at it the way it is, the completion percentage is great. The yardage is great. If I told you that this, uh, this particular player had nine fumbles last year, the over under nine fumbles, how would you feel in that regard? Well, because then you're talking about having almost 20 total turnovers. So if you know now if there's a if there's a if there's a bonus stat that tells me rushing touchdowns or rushing yardage maybe I take that into account but nine fumbles is a little dangerous for me that that's a lot that's a fumble every other game you know for my quarterback and I'd like to see just like you talked about the the three to one ratio I probably want to see a three to one ratio games to fumbles so you know seventeen games I want to see those fumbles closer to five than ten that that is absolutely fair I think. Um... I'll, I'll, I'll pause here and ask if you have an idea of who this player is that I'm comparing Daniel Jones to. God, how could that be? (laughs) For the, for the listeners, we did not discuss who the player would be. I said, I was going to do some comps and we were going to figure this out. So, so far you have, you have a few key metrics and and stats. And I, I feel like, you're, you, I've given you. Interesting enough, I've given you a comp that's kind of in the range of what you said you'd hope for Daniel Jones to be able to have. So we're circling the wagons. I'm just curious if you know who the player may be that I'm comparing him to. Yeah, I'm just I'm running through names just to have them. You know, have them in front of me. Feel like I have an opportunity. Like, is the first one that jumped to mind was like a Ryan Tannenhill. You know, it, it feels like that kind of stats that are maybe underwhelming game to game. But then by the end of the year, a guy like Jared Goff came to mind. Oh, you know what? I'll go. I'll go young quarterback. I don't think this is right, though. I think it's because I, I don't. I don't think it is. I'm going to go young quarterback. I'm just going to say. I'm going to say Kyler Murray. You would be correct. Oh, really? Okay. Is I thought, I thought it was, oh Murray. yeah. Yes. I so, thought it was gonna be um I almost thought it was gonna be Teddy Bridgewater for some reason, mm, like like lingering in my mind, and I, I couldn't oh wow, hey you, all right. you, you pulled yourself from out of the depths there. You're going Ryan Tannehill, you're thinking Teddy Bridgewater. If we if we had some sound effects in the background, we we would make we would have uh you know some fireworks going off. So the correct answer is Kyler Murray, and the, uh, obviously I buried one of the key stats, which is the rushing piece of things for Kyler Murray, and you actually alluded to that, Adam, with the fumbles. You're like, well, maybe if he's a guy that gets out there a little bit more and he's multifaceted, and the reason why he's a good comp is because Daniel Jones, while he is not as explosive and athletic as Kyler Murray, he does have top five to seven quarterback ability in terms of athleticism to get out in the pocket and make plays with his legs. Kyler Murray had 800 rushing yards last year. 
he had 11 touchdowns rushing last year. So when you think about it, he was multifaceted and he had the dynamic of being both an accurate passer as well as a rusher that added 10 more touchdowns to his touchdown total. And so that's kind of where you take the the tough uh, you know fumbles into account. But kudos to you, Adam. What are your thoughts about the comp to Kyler Murray you know, as the player that is kind of like, if he could do that, we would sign up for it. I'm still basking in my own glory. Um, no, th- th- this actually is really good because I, I pulled it up while while you were finishing some of those extra stats around him in terms of the yardage. I pulled up, right, QBR, 69, almost 70 QBR. You know, listen, it, it, that's 14th in the league. And we've kind of said this with consistency, right? Do we think do we think that Daniel Jones can be the long-term franchise quarterback? Yes, we do. Do we think that he's going to go and become a top five quarterback in the NFL this year? Maybe not. <laughs> you know, probably not. But if you can be top half of the league, if you can be closer to 10 than 20, I think that, that that is the recipe for success. When we talk about where where people have the Giants finishing, the over-under mark set for their win totals, all that stuff, it's all predicated on we think that Daniel Jones is going to be, you know, 20th in most categories and muddle his way through the season, and the Giants are going to lose some games because of him, and that's why they're going to finish 7-10. and 10. That's why they're going to finish maybe 8-9, and nine, right? But if you give me a Kyler Murray-style stat line, and I'll even say rushing yards, listen, closer to 600 than 800, fine but if you do that for me then i then when we talked about predict you know all two early predictions then i yes 10 wins yes you know maybe 11 wins right because that means that he's protecting the ball it also means that he's being dynamic and making some extra plays outside the pocket with his legs at times yeah i think that's a great comp i think it's a great comp to head to the season and say hey this would be a nice standard to set now and i'd probably say what again i still would like less and less running because he's not kyler murray so a little less rushing yards, a few less fumbles, and maybe a couple more passing touchdowns, right? If you can give me 28 touchdowns through the air, right, and six or five fumbles for the for our young QB, then I'm all on board. I, I would sign up for it right now. I, I think the idea is also, and the reason why I use Kyler Murray, people might be like, well, he was the number one overall pick, of course, like having a number one quarterback. If that's where he ends up, we'd be in great shape. But to your point, yeah, he was – Kyler Murray is 14th in QBR. I'm not I'm not saying he need to, needs to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. I'm saying he needs to get us into the top half. It's the it's the progression the defense has had when they were terrible, all of a sudden they looked good and last year they were unbelievable. It's like start progressing and moving it along and the the perfect example is this. Daniel Jones is 20th in QBR, Kyler Murray's 14th. When you look at the players that are around Daniel Jones at where he's at, you're talking about Mitch Trubisky who's now backing up Josh Allen. You have Ben Roethlisberger, who the team would have released if they had the opportunity to, but his cap hit was too much. And Jared Goff, who they got rid of and they traded away um, and and actually you know traded away first-round draft picks to get rid of Jared Goff. Those are the types of players that are sitting right behind Daniel Jones. That is ah. a tough – yeah. like <laughs> yeah, Daniel Jones is in front of them, just full disclosure. When you look at Kyler Murray – the, the a couple players behind him are Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan. The player that's right in front of him is Justin Herbert and Deshaun Watson's right there. That is a different level of grouping and it's, it just feels like a different tier. And so if we can get Daniel Jones to move to that next tier, he doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to be Lamar Jackson, but if he can move into a top half quarterback of the league, look at Kyler Murray's comps as a way for him to get there. 
And with this offense and the weapons that we have returning and what we did in the draft and free agency with Kenny Galladay, there's no reason to think that Daniel Jones can't do it. Absolutely phenomenal reference points there in and around 20 and in around 14, right? Because when you say those guys towards those back end numbers, you go, I don't know if I want that to be my quarterback out there. And you mentioned the second group and you go, yeah, okay, here we go. I like, I like what, I like what I'm seeing there. And that's the difference between this season for the giants that, you know, listen, there's going to be a lot of things to get into. The receiving core is going to be new and dynamic. Saquon's going to be back. The, the running back group is going to be better even behind Saquon. And yet we all know one of the most prevalent themes at the end of the day is going to be the play of our young franchise quarterback. The way that he goes this year is the way that the team goes and is the way that the franchise goes, by the way. Because if it's a miss, then that means we rip this thing apart and we're all the way back to square one. If it's a hit, suddenly we can start talking about being a consistent playoff contender in the NFC East and maybe one of those dark horse threats. Remember, friends, once upon a time, a young plucky kid out of old Miss came into the room high in the draft class with a lot of expectations on him. Bit of a dark horse candidate. A couple of MVPs later, I think we're all pretty satisfied. You can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Of course, download, rate, review, subscribe, leave a five star rating if you can, because it really helps us, of course, continue to build this uh, little empire that we have here. And by the way, we've been trying to transition. We're transitioning onto a new platform. It has not been easy. So we're, we're still getting episodes out on the old platform, but there was a little bit of a lull there over Andy's vacation that we kind of fought our way through. So thank you for bearing with us and continue to come back for more episodes. Big shout out to Ricardo over on YouTube for joining us live. We'll leave you with his thoughts. Daniel Jones has no more excuses. And as Andy McElwitz would want, need, and demand that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue.